Hey everyone, life is throwing so much at all of us right now. And so I wanted to encourage you to sign up for our newsletter at atomicmoms.com so that you'll get an announcement when we have our next episode release. Our latest episode is with best-selling novelist J. Courtney Sullivan. You know her books, Commencement, Maine, The Engagements, and Saints for All Occasions. And in this conversation, she chats with me, and I also loop in our mutual mom friend, Emmy-nominated Becky Friedman. On Atomic Moms Podcast, you know her as Daniel Tiger's Becky. We're celebrating the new book, Friends and Strangers, and we get a fun glimpse into Becky and Courtney's New York friendship pre-kids. It's such a fun escape, and we also share our personal experiences related to the novel's themes, such as fertility, privilege, and the fuzzy boundaries found between lonely new moms and the caregivers who love their children so much. Also, don't miss our episode, Let's Go There, Anti-Racism, The Pandemic, and Parenting Right Now. We've had such an outpouring of support for that episode, and Candace has been blown away by your submissions for her upcoming book, Dream Redefined, The Struggle and Success of Infertility as a Woman of Color. And also, I want to say that episode is with Sophie Salvatore, who happens to also be a Smith College grad, just like J. Courtney Sullivan. So really, I've turned this podcast into the Smithy reunion that I didn't get to have this year when it was canceled. It was supposed to be my 15-year reunion. Anyway, everyone, enjoy these episodes. I love hearing from you. Stay safe. Stay well. Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts like our co-host, Becky Friedman, (laughs) best-selling authors like our special guest, Courtney Sullivan, and parents around the world. Ten minutes ago, I like got down, squatted down to my six-year-old and I was like, Sabrina, I will be your parent again in an hour, but I'm doing my interview now. (laughs) And then everybody, I got to frantically text Becky because my computer wouldn't start and it wouldn't just not start. It said that it needed a new password, but it did. It wasn't like a friendly new password thing. It was like a, it looked like an image from the 1980s. It looked like my computer broke. Is that true, Becky? Oh no, uh, that is correct. It was alarming. It was alarming. And and, and Becky, what did you say? <laughs> what did um, you- I believe I gently said, "Is it possible that Sabrina was playing on your computer and was repeatedly putting in a pa- password that wasn't correct, and now it's locked you out?" <laughs> Only that- because my children do this all the time. There you go. And uh, this computer has been doing a weird fan worry something anyway, but I was like, it's over. It's over. The, I, this is the day that I break. <laughs> Forget the fact that my parents have COVID in Houston. This is what's going to send no! me over the edge. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. But it's like, it's been a week and I'm really grateful that I get to escape with the two of you. Listeners, let me brag about my guest today. You know, Becky already. She's been on the podcast. Uh, multiple times. Actually, the last time Becky was on the podcast, she was commiserating with me about how often our kids have to be out of school because they get sick. Isn't that funny? (laughs) (laughs) I miss miss those days. What I wouldn't give for a head cold right now. Becky Friedman is an Emmy-nominated children's writer and creator whose work can be seen on such shows as Creative Galaxy, Wish and Poof, The Stinky and Dirty Show, Esme and Roy, and Disney Junior's Tots. 
She's best known for her work as head writer of the first five seasons of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's why I call her Daniel Tiger Becky. And Becky has (laughs) developed kid projects with indie music sensation Lisa Loeb, as well as the hip-hop powerhouse band The Roots. Currently, Becky's developing what will be Hello Sunshine's first preschool animated project in the kids space while simultaneously entertaining her five-year-old daughter and two-year-old son and trying not to lose her mind. Becky, (laughs) welcome back to Atomic Mom. So happy to be here. (laughs) And also simultaneously in front of my favorite uh, coffee shop in Brooklyn. Yes, I appreciate the Zoom background. You're going to have to give me a tutorial later. So this is the crazy thing, listeners. Mm -hmm. For so many years, um, I have followed our special guest's career. I went to Smith College in Western Massachusetts. And a few years after graduating, a book came out called Commencement. And it was such a close reflection of my own experience at this very special place. And so since then... I've been such a huge fan of Jay Courtney Sullivan, and she's on the podcast today to talk about her brand new book, Friends and Strangers. So she's a New York Times bestselling author of the novels Commencement, Maine, The Engagements, and Saints for All Occasions. Her new book, Friends and Strangers, will be published on June 30th. Sullivan's writing has appeared in the New York Times Book Review, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, New York Magazine, Elle, Glamour, Allure, Real Simple, and Oh, the Oprah Magazine, among many others. She lives in New York with her husband and two small children. And here's where it comes full circle. (laughs) I got on Facebook because I figured Courtney would also be in this Smith College Parenting Facebook group. And when I was searching her name, I saw that Becky was friends with her. And I put that in quotation marks because everyone's friends on Facebook. And when I texted her, she was like, no, I went to Courtney's wedding. Like we're really close. (laughs) I really know her. I'm so excited to be Courtney and Becky's third wheel. Welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Becky and I had a little chat last night and I'm glad we did because otherwise this podcast would be seven hours long. We had so much to discuss. (laughs) Like the perfect uh, pandemic book club pick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, can you share with our listeners, what is the book about? Yes. So first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I am your fan as well. I'm a fan of both of you. And this is amazing to be with you (laughs) Um, and to have a professional reason to not be with our children for one hour is also thrilling. So thank you. For that, can I just say something about Becky first? Is that okay? Because it all kind of like, it really weaves together so much that our friendship, um, my career, Becky's career, and all how, and and motherhood, parenthood, because we met in our early 20s. I was an assistant at Condé Nast at Allure Magazine, and Becky had just moved to New York um, from San Francisco. And, uh, we were set up by Becky's brother, who's a dear friend of mine too. And we just like hit it off. We had lunch one day, we hit it off. And I feel like Becky's career just took off. She came to New York really wanting to be in children's television, not being like wildly connected in that world, you know, interning at MTV. And the next thing you know, 
like, or as far as it looked to me anyway, Daniel Tiger. <laughs> and I actually used to watch Daniel Tiger when I was getting ready for work. When I worked at the New York Times, I would be getting ready and watching Daniel Tiger in the morning. I was single, childless, and living in a studio apartment. But I just couldn't believe my friend made this thing. And her name was at the beginning of every episode. And also my first novel commencement that you mentioned, um, at that time, Becky was working, I think you were working at MTV, right? And I was when we first met. Yeah. And I had just started at the times. And do you remember that there was an editor who was interested. I really wanted her to be the one. There were some things that needed to be worked out. So it was kind of happening. And Becky, I called Becky and I was so I forgot about this. And she was like, let's go for a walk. So we didn't really have time to have a lunch or whatever, but we're like, let's go for a walk. So we walked around the block. We worked within blocks of each other because I was at the big Viacom building in 1515 in Times Square and you were at the big Condé Nast building. Yes. And by the way, we were the only ones who were not just eating lettuce leaves, if you recall, off that (laughs) side. That is very true. (laughs) And Becky told me to to pink bubble it, which I still say all the time, to picture what I wanted, picture the book advance I wanted, what I wanted from this editor, that I wanted her to be my editor and sort of make it manifest, picture it, you know, in a pink sort of, Glinda from the Wizard of Oz type bubble is how I imagined it anyway. Yeah. And just sort of watch the pink bubble float off into space. So now everyone in my life knows this term, like just pink bubble it. Mm-hmm. Which, which by the way, to give credit where credit is due was something that I had picked up from Miss Angela Santamaro, the creator of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Oh. I was working... So it, it, I couldn't have been at MTV. I must have been starting out as Angela's assistant at Out of the Blue when we took this walk, which now that you mentioned it, I do remember so well. And um, and yes, she had given me the same advice. She is a big pink bubble, pink bubbler. Wow. Um, and so anyway, yeah, it, it was really, it was really powerful. It was. And then Becky's, uh, Becky got into the motherhood game just ahead of me. So yeah. That was magical because by then we were both living in Brooklyn, pretty close together. And, um, you know, I think you provided the basis of a lot of what this book, Friends and Strangers, is about in the sense that when you are a new mother, you are like learning a new language from scratch. And anyone who already speaks that language anyone who has a child older than yours, they could be one month older, you know, six months older. That person is a prophet. That person knows everything you don't know. And I remember you sending me this email, which I have since (laughs) sent on to other people with your permission, um, with all this, like buy this. These are all the things to buy. These are the websites to look at. These are the, Mm -hmm. and, um, I remember. Don't buy a white warmer. Exactly. I remember crying. You don't need it. I read even the email. You gave me the cliff notes. And yet I still cried because I was like crying to my husband. We were on our baby moon to Hawaii, which was a total bust. I got really sick. And then there was like a monsoon type event that kept us in the hotel for three days. Anyway, I was reading. I was like, well, I could at least do my registry from this hotel room bed in Hawaii. And as I was doing it, I remember sobbing to Kevin saying, what is a kikaroo peanut? I just was like so overwhelmed. 
you know, and then you have the kid and then you get it. And anyway, um, yeah. that's that. It's a story of, of us. The story of us. I, I agree. And very, very much we have lived our own separate and yet sort of like parallel and intertwined lives going from sort of like, I mean, you know, just a quick, you know, the way that my brother friend set us up and sort of arranged this marriage was that he was like, you know, Courtney is doing this low level job and sort of feeling kind of soul crushed and like, Hey, you are too at MTV. And we really went from those sort of commiserating lunches Mm -hmm. to finding our place in our career, you know, you finding your dream of being able to write in your PJs with your dog by your side. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, moving into the crazy dating scene of our 20s, we very much sort Mm -hmm. of went through that together, finding the one, figuring out pregnancy, you know, hard or easy, though it may be, and and so forth. And so it's kind of crazy. And now I feel like Becky moved across the country right, uh, right around the time my son was born, like, like a week yeah. or two after he was born. I remember you came over and you were so lovely and you brought me food and you were like, by the way, we're moving across the country. I was like, no, you can't go. But now my son just turned three and I kind of feel like he's been raised by you, even though you're not here because everything he knows about life, he knows from Daniel Tiger. And we're <laughs> so often singing the songs from Daniel Tiger in our daily life. And it just blows my mind that this, you know, amazing young woman I used to like go drinking and dancing with is, is now the sort of voice of morality in my children's lives. Kind of amazing. That is, that is so <laughs> lovely and know, terrifying. It's, no, it's true. I mean, Becky's definitely our big name drop at our house. I think. Oh, <laughs> so oh my like, God. It, because now also with Esme and Roy, because we're obsessed with the PBS Yay. app. So then Becky's name is constantly on that. So that's a huge deal. Um, I brag about knowing her all the time. And Courtney, I, I have to say what's so cool about hearing about you guys basically growing up together post-college and like how that is also reflected in this novel. But quickly, before you finally give me that summary. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that it is so cool how your we get to grow up alongside your writing and Aww. how special that is because it's really crazy to have an author who can express so much of what we experience and think about what we're ashamed of saying um, and all of our difficulties like uh, right alongside you. No, no, no. I didn't actually <laughs> read it. So I just need you to tell me now. <laughs> I said this to Ellie. It's the first book that I've read since my two-year-old, two and a half-year-old son was born. So thank you for that. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. Actually, so the book is based on an experience I had um, when I was a senior at Smith. I, I was in London for a year. I actually took a year off from Smith before my senior year. So I spent a year there um, working as a nanny. And I uh, worked for a family with three boys under the age of two. They had 18 month old twins and a newborn. Um, And uh, I also, you know, after going to a women's college for two years, moving abroad, um, had to acquire a British boyfriend, but like the most inappropriate one you could imagine, like 
he was a DJ. We met in the middle of Leicester Square. He was wearing a space suit. He was way too old for me. But of course, when I came back to Smith, I was like, we're definitely getting married and staying together. <laughs> so I came back for my senior year. I met this woman. I started babysitting for her infant, her infant daughter. And she had just moved from New York. And so we kind of struck up a friendship. Um, I think, you know, between a young babysitter, student aged babysitter, or in your 20s, I've done tons of babysitting in my life. So I think you always have that relationship with the mother where you kind of look at her and you're like, is this a version of a future self? Or, you know, what about this? What I want to be? Or what about this? What I not want to be? And it's such an intimate relationship caring for someone else's child. And I think in that case, it was even more intimate than usual because she was new in this place. She was new to motherhood. And I was just someone she could talk to. I know that when my son was born and I was interviewing people to care for him, you know, there were a couple who came in who were like girls who had just graduated from college and I hadn't talked to anybody in weeks. And it was like, I locked them down and was like, you're me. You're me 15 years ago. Let me talk to you about everything. And then like, my husband was like, absolutely not. Like you have no better. You can't hire that person, you know? So um, anyway, so several years ago, I would say this, is this a summary? No, this is me doing a summary. This is why my novels are 600 pages long. That's why I feel so understood. Thank you. So a few years ago, I was back at Smith to give a reading. I think it was for my book, Maine. And this woman whose baby I took care of, you know, she had really kind of put me on the path to moving to New York. Um, I was sort of afraid to move to New York and I wanted to go back to London and the boyfriend and all that. And I think she very gently kind of put me on the path. And so several years ago, I'm at Smith giving a reading. I come out and I walk uh, down to Main Street and this I'm waiting for a light to change at a crosswalk and a big SUV pulls up and there's like three kids in the back. I see the woman driving it is this woman who I used to babysit for. Oh and I'm like, oh my God, hi, hi, hi. And I feel like she just did not recognize me at all and kept driving. And so that night I was back in Brooklyn. I was telling this story to a friend over dinner. She's also a novelist. And she's like, oh, that would be such a great novel. These two women and, you know, why did she keep driving and all of this? And so at the time it didn't really click for me because I was like, I don't know what I would say about that. But as I was pregnant with my son and, and I also really struggled to get pregnant with him. And so all that weird, you know, fertility stuff and pregnancy stuff and the disappointment factors, like for the first time in many years, I was writing stuff down, uh, from my own life. I guess, you know, once I started writing novels, I stopped having journals and things like that. Like I'd had when I was younger, but the, the process of trying to be pregnant and then being pregnant it was so bizarre to me and so unlike anything I'd experienced. And I was making notes the whole time. And partly it was about my own experience, but also my friends and what they were going through. We were all kind of going through it together in different ways. And suddenly I could see a way into this story. And I really wanted to tell it because all of a sudden I had been both these women. I had been the babysitter and I had been the new mother. And um, I wrote most of the babysitter, especially the early babysitter chapters when I was pregnant. And I knew I didn't really know enough yet to write Elizabeth, the mother. Um, But I knew that I would, you know, soon enough. And the first six months of my son's life, I was 
just taking notes. I didn't have time to actually write chapters, but I was constantly taking notes because it was so, you know, so many things that were really like heartwarming and also really stressful and also really hilarious. And I just felt like I won't remember this in an hour, let alone in six months, if I don't write it down. So I feel like in many ways, this is probably my most personal book for that reason, even though the character, the mother character, Elizabeth, isn't really We're not very similar, I don't think, as human beings, but certainly her experience of motherhood is like very much my own. And I'd say it's a small piece of the book. Really, the book is about the relationship between these two women and kind of a conversation with my younger self. Um, But the idea that, you know, women now meet one another in these kind of online spaces and, and share so much of who they are is certainly inspired by my experience in the Smithy Parents Group, of which we are both members, and Bacoca Moms, of which Becky and I are both members, the Brooklyn, yes. <laughs> Brooklyn Facebook. I still am a member from LA. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the coffee shop behind you is in the book, but I think I changed the name in the book. But the woman who has moved away. She's like, recommends it. And then someone says, well, that place closed because, you know, they're kind of trying to be like, you don't even live here because because there's always drama in these groups, you know, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier. Um, And, but also I'm just astonished by, first of all, how generous women are because someone asks a question, they've just gotten to that point. Everyone knows the answer, but people actually take the time to sit there and type it out. And it is so lovely. And then women also just divulge these things where I'm like, holy moly, it feels very confidential, very private, but it's really not. So there's kind of a fascinating tension to that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see where Facebook groups will go from here. Uh, It seems like there is a lot of rearranging and restarting uh, that is necessary. I would love to speak to you a little bit more about the relationship between the nanny and the mother. Uh, mm-hmm. Becky and I have laughed over you know a couple uh, years about how we both have a tendency to try to become best friends with the caregivers of our children, and yeah, and I would constantly be like, "But I have to have boundaries." But I'm terrible at it, and especially at the beginning. I want to be liked, which always backfires later. People pleasers. We're both people pleasers. It is such a hard relationship. It's so Mm -hmm. personal. And and I feel like you did such a beautiful job of unearthing the the complexities of it. And yeah, and the feeling of of loss because you're like, this person, you they're they're as close to you or closer than maybe one's own mother because they're around all the time and mm-hmm. uh, they care about your children so deeply. It's such a, it's so personal. And yet, as you mentioned again and again in the book, it is a job. Mm-hmm. And where is that line? And I would love to hear what are the boundaries that you have set in motion and where have you maybe stumbled personally on this front? So my kids now, my son just turned three this past weekend, and my daughter is going to be two in November. So they're 16 months apart. Um, and 
we hired the most wonderful nanny in the world, Rada, when my son was six months old. And she was with us until mm, three months ago. Three months ago, we left Brooklyn. And so, uh, and she's now with a new family. And, you know, the baseline for me was like, I, it has to be my full-time job to find her a new job because this is her job. This is how she supports her own family. And so um, you do feel a real responsibility to make sure that person is not only being paid by someone new, but that that, but that, that new family is like worthy of her and, you know, kind. Um, so that, that business piece of it, I feel like was taken sort of taken care of, but the personal part of it has been excruciating. I, it was like, I had to call Rada to tell her this. Um, from a grocery store parking lot, we were both sobbing, 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 sobbing. And um, she still FaceTimes with my kids all the time. She, she sends me like video compilations of my kids that she makes set to sad music because she's still sad. And, oh. and I, you know, and I, her family is actually supposed to come see us this weekend. So like, we're not totally, but she told me her daughter was like, you seem like you're going through a divorce. Like you got to snap out of it, you know, because we were very, very close. And she is an adult woman. She has grown kids. So she's been around the block as a nanny and she does know how to set boundaries. Thank God. So I think there was that. But at the same time, because I definitely don't, but at the same time, um, I obviously I'm a writer. I always worked from home. You know, we lived in an apartment. It was a small space. And we were just together a lot. And, and we did share so much of our lives with each other and so much of our histories with each other. Mm-hmm. And I always felt, I mean, Becky can tell you, we are, my husband and I were both very neurotic. We never left our dog. With Boy, anyone. can I tell you? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Becky can tell you. Um, but we have a dog who is now almost 10 years old. Can you believe that? I can't remember, believe that. I remember when Landon was a puppy. Wasn't it the first time you met my husband? It was like also yes. me meeting Landon? Anyway. And it was also the first time that your brother met your husband. Yes, that's remember? right. Remember? My brother met what we were dating at the time. And we had dinner at Courtney's place. And she made us all dinner. She was like my parents, like helping the introduction go well. Yeah, it was very cute. And Adam, Becky's husband, was like on the floor with Landon, my puppy at the time, who's now 10. He passed the puppy test. He really did. So anyway, like our dog, before we had children, the, we didn't trust anyone in New York to watch our dog. We were like, no, there's no one good enough. So we would either take him, we're insane. We would either take him, drive him 18 hours to Iowa, where my husband's family lives, so my mother-in-law could watch him. Or we would take him to this place in Maine that was like, beautiful fields and the dogs like sleep in a bed or whatever ridiculous like a bed not like a dog uh-huh. bed. so uh, <laughs> this is a very privileged dog oh my god me. insane insane <laughs> um so you know people were worried like what, <laughs> my best friend Karen was like you're never going to like you need to get a nanny because if you don't do it yeah. Um, you're, you're just going to like homeschool your kids until college. If I didn't cut the cord early, it was never going to happen. And we would never even go out. 
you know, cause at first I was like, when the baby's three months old, I'll get back to work. And then I was like, no. And I kept pushing it and pushing it. And it, it was six months old. And it was like, I should probably have some help. But so Courtney, you're saying that you got your nanny when your baby was six months old, which means you then were pregnant when your baby was seven months old. So it happened just in the nick of time. Meanwhile, you were in the middle of writing this book that mm-hmm. Becky and I have been reading all week together. I want to ask because it's mind blowing to me that you would be pregnant again with a seven month old. It's like hard for me to say, cause my brain just scrambles. Um, I know what happens, but it's like, I can't imagine, but you had also gone through, as you just shared earlier, uh, your, you had gone through infertility. So I want to know how did it happen? And also what was it like exploring your fertility journey through this character in your book. Yes. It's funny because I have a a dear friend uh, who's an editor and her husband's a writer. They, they lived like two blocks from us in Brooklyn and they were going to San Francisco for three months or something. And it was right when Radha started working with us. She told me, my friend Siobhan said, why don't you use our apartment? You can work out of our apartment and, you know, start writing your book. And I was like, great. And so I was doing that. I was going over there every day and it was truly magical to go from full-time taking care of a newborn to just being alone, being alone in this apartment and writing again. I was really, it was just flowing in a way that it mm-hmm. usually does. The usual sort of doubt and angst and dread that lead to the process of actually sitting down and writing weren't there. And that was lovely. And I think it was partly just a function of time and knowing I didn't have time for that. Like after a couple of weeks of writing there, every afternoon I would just fall asleep. I would fall asleep on their couch for like three hours. And I thought that was normal because I was like, well, I have a baby, so I'm just really tired. But it turned out, no, I was actually, I had a seven month old and I was pregnant. And it was very funny because, you know, this is one of many places where I diverge um, from the character in the book. She, Elizabeth, has this one baby and she absolutely loves and adores her baby. And that was very much my experience of just like being the kind of person who, like, I love to plan a vacation, love it. But then when I get there, I'm like, I don't know, I'm not that happy here. I'm just like, it's terrible, but I'm not a live in the moment person. I'm kind of a joy killer in that way. Um, (laughs) So when I had my son, it was like, I was so happy and I was not only happy, but I was also happy that I was happy. If that makes sense. I was really relieved. I was like, you're finally having the right emotional reaction to a thing. (laughs) That's so great. And I also felt, you know, I think when he was born, I was 36 and I was like, oh, I said to my husband in the hospital, I totally understand the Duggars now. I could do this 19 more times. Like, too bad we're really <laughs> because there's not a but um but like I just want all the babies like so I was unlike Elizabeth who in the book loves her baby but only really wants one child um I wanted more but I thought it would be difficult because yes we had done IVF and it had taken a long time and it had it had been really hard and we'd had two losses before my son so I guess you know then I just I basically got pregnant by accident didn't even think it was really going to be possible. So and amazing. Yes. And my friend, Karen, who just got me through the whole infertility thing while also going through her own fertility 
stuff, you know, just being pregnant and, um, trying to be pregnant and all of that. Um, she, it was really funny because when I was pregnant with my first, I, I craved these like peach gummy candies, which I'm sure neither of you would have eaten when you were pregnant, but I ate them by like the gallon, like really bad ones, like from 7-Eleven. That probably I know exactly what you're talking about. Too. And I a hundred percent would have eaten them. <laughs> I'd eat them today if I was leaving my house. <laughs> so Karn and I, Leo, my son was whatever he was, eight months old. And we were going out for like our first dinner post baby. Um, we went to a nice restaurant in Manhattan and I actually got there early, which I never do. And so I went into this like nice little store next door. And, um, as I was leaving, I saw these like peach gummies at the register and it was like, my brain didn't even process the thought. I just like grabbed them, bought them and started trying to open the package. And I walk into the fancy restaurant trying to like bust open the packet, plastic package of, of gummy candy. And I offer them to Karin and I offer them to the hostess. And Karin's like, what in the hell? What are you doing? And I was, I don't know. And we went to the table and I was like, it's so weird because like, I must be about, I hadn't even gotten a period. So I was like, I must be about to get my period because like my boobs are so sore. And then, and I'm like eating the gummy candy at the table. And then Karin also said I ate like everything. Like we ordered a ton of food and then I just ate all of it. And she's like, I think you're pregnant. And I was like, no, not possible. And after dinner, we both wanted to like do something because it was still really early, but we were like, well, what could we do? I was like, why don't I take, why don't we get a pregnancy test at Walgreens? Like I'm like, you know, in college. That would be a kick. It's so funny. Wait, and just pause for a moment. You went, you went with your friend (laughs) to get the pregnancy test. I was so positive that I was not pregnant, that it was just like a joke. Sort of be so funny. And, yeah, haha. Who do, like what thirty-seven-year-old woman doesn't just go get an with her friend? So we went to Starbucks, and I don't know if Karen had like a psychic feeling, but she when we got there, she was like, "You know what? I don't think you should take that pregnancy test um, here. I think you should go home and do it at home." By the way, it doesn't take a psychic to know you shouldn't take a pregnancy test in a Starbucks bathroom in Manhattan. In the Union Square, Starbucks. Yeah. 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 So I could have told you that. I, you know. Oh, there's some friend competition. I can sense it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's totally. right. Oh. oh, that was Karen's great advice. Well, she didn't move to California. So what can I say? Oh, uh, <laughs> thanks for the heart. No, but um, so anyone who's listening to this or watching this who's ever been trying to get pregnant will understand that like when I was doing IVF because you were testing very early um you strain your eyes to see that second line on the pregnancy test you know and Karen who did not do IVF but but we used to send each other pictures of pregnancy tests at like five in the morning because it was the first pee of the day I remember Karen sending me one I think this is in the book actually so much of our friendship is in the book and I think in the book you know one morning I woke up to a text from her and it was like two pregnancy tests and it didn't look like either one had a second line. And she's like, does this have a faint second line? And she said, and the top one, she had made her husband pee on as a control. So <laughs> what a, a really negative test is. So, you know, I remember squinting to see the second line and sending pictures to Karen and asking her if she could see one. And with my second child, Stella, when I peed on that test, the, the second line, like, blew up like as I was peeing on the test. It was so dark. 
And I was just like, what? I mean, it was just, it was the shock of my life. It was the most shocking thing. And I was absolutely delighted about it. Thrilled. Mm. Well, you just mentioned Becky moving across the country and abandoning you. And that is also what Elizabeth does in this novel. She leaves Brooklyn. She leaves her mom friends and she moves away to a small college town. And Mm -hmm. I am so curious what it's like, you know, doing your book tour now and reflecting on this work from the perspective of someone who's currently in the middle of a pandemic where you did just leave Brooklyn. Yep. Do you feel as wistful as this character did leaving her home base? Well, the weird thing is... I. All of my novels, I swear, have some kind of weird self-fulfilling prophecy where I write it and then the thing, some version of the thing happens. And so, um, you know, in this book, they, uh, of course, as you know, because you are a smithy, the, the town they moved to is very much based on Northampton. And in my head, that's where the action is taking place. But for various reasons, I didn't want the school to be Smith. And so I decided to move it elsewhere. I moved it to upstate New York. And as Elizabeth says in the book, it's not like fashionable upstate New York. It's, it's north of there, way north of there. And so, you know, the book was done. COVID hit. We, like many people I know, you know, we're kind of thinking about, should we go somewhere else for a couple of weeks? Should we go somewhere else for a month? We had very kind of contentious uh, landlords who despise children. So they loved us until we had children, but then they really kind of didn't want us there anymore. So that was already a thing. So we already knew we were like bound for the burbs eventually, but we didn't know where we didn't know when. And my uncle called me and said, Oh, I have this friend. She has a house in suburban Albany. She just moved in with her partner. So the house is empty, but it's uh, furnished if you want to go stay there. So we did, thinking it might be a week or two. Now it's been three and a half months. We're still here. And mm-hmm. now we're thinking of moving to the suburbs of Boston, where I'm from. Maybe, we don't know. I know. You don't even know that yet. It just happened. I don't even um, know that. Because the owner of this house now has sold the house. So anyway, that's a whole other thing. But it is extremely weird because we basically ended up in upstate New York, but not fashionable upstate New York. And if you want to do the math on where she says they live, I think this is probably it. I just didn't really know this place existed. So, I mean, I've heard of Albany. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there goes all my Albany listeners. (laughs) Um, But I I didn't, you know, the suburbs of Albany, I'd never quite imagined. And you also tackle privilege throughout the book uh, Mm. with both of the female characters. And I am so curious about looking back on some of the scenarios now, because in the beginning, I'm not ruining it for any listener. Um, there's a moment where uh, there's fireworks and Elizabeth, the mother's very upset because her baby's sleeping. And so she she's going to call the cops. And it's really strange to read that now because mm. that was actually something that has been reflected in a parenting group that I was a part of on Facebook, uh, where mother said, please, whatever you do, do not call the cops. And that was yeah. before this movement. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like what your thoughts are on the book coming out right now at this particular moment. 
one thing I really, really wanted to look at was this idea of privilege and sort of that as kind of a relative concept and the idea of really like who has a safety net and who doesn't. So, you know, when I went to Smith, I think for me, that's really kind of when it started that I grew up in a very middle-class town. I went to Smith. I had a lot of friends who were extremely wealthy in ways that I had never really imagined. And for me, I was there knowing that I was going to pay my way through Smith myself and that I'd have to figure that out. Even though when you're 18, 19 years old, that's all kind of like hard to even conceptualize what that student loan debt will mean to your adult self. And I think most of my friends had no idea, like, like that just wasn't a concept for them that you would have to pay your own way through college, you know? And so I, I think to be very honest, you know, for a while living in Brooklyn, uh, even though we are super comfortable, I kind of had this chip on my shoulder. Like, you know, I have so many friends where all of a sudden adulthood arrives and we've all been in our 20s and we've all had two roommates and I thought we were the same, but all of a sudden we're, you know, people are married and having kids and oh, someone just got a $5 million brownstone and that person is a poet and their you know, spouse is like a puppeteer or something. And they're like, oh, how did you get, how did you yeah. get that? You know, and, and um, you realize like a lot of people were coming from a very different starting place than you were. However, that obviously goes in the other direction as well. And I spent a lot of the last couple of years working with, families who were separated at the border and reuniting those families, helping them get housing and and legal assistance and medical assistance through a group of volunteers. All of us are women, all of us, but one are mothers of young kids. Our group is called Immigrant Families Together. And, you know, I think obviously I was very aware already, but that really brought into very clear everyday focus for me that there are so many people in our city, in our country, in our day-to-day lives, who not only do they not have a safety net, they are the safety net. So, you know, a lot of these mothers crossing the border with nothing, um, they're expected once they get here to send money home because the people at home have even less than nothing. So, you know, the notion um, of Sam in the book feeling a bit like, wow, everyone else is sort of out of my league financially. Well, yes, but she has this fabulous education. She has a stable family. She's never going to spend a night in a homeless shelter. No matter what happens to her financially, she has people she could go to. And that right there is a form of privilege. I think when we think about sort of social class dynamics, there's like a sense of of these different sort of isolated beings. Um, but actually. You know, every day, these people who occupy different points on that spectrum are forced to interact with one another, sometimes by choice, sometimes by chance. And what does that mean? You know, even this morning, I took my kids because my husband had to do a work call. So I took my kids to a coffee shop. And my daughter, who's 18 months old, um, was talking to this guy. I mean, she doesn't talk, but she, she talks, but she doesn't actually, you know no one, she doesn't have actual words, but she's very, she talks as much as I do, but without words, if you can imagine. (laughs) Um, So she's like talking, talking and um, to this guy to who was a delivery guy for Grubhub. 
And uh, so he ended up chatting with me and he was showing me pictures of his little kids. He's only has three little kids and he's showing me pictures. And, you know, part of me is just thinking like, wow, like I, I feel stressed a lot of the time, you know, financially about our kids and how we will provide for them and whatever, like, how's that going for this guy? You know, and like, how, what does that look like? And, and just this notion of, you know, you, especially, I mean, you have, if you have a nanny in the sense of like the way that people do in big cities, you know, here's someone who's coming into your home every day, um, caring for your children and probably exists on a very different part of the economic spectrum from you. And you're their source of income. Like that is just a very complicated situation. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, now I think privilege is being examined even through a sharper lens, right? Through the lens of what's happening with COVID and what's happening in the Black Lives Matter movement. And so it's interesting that you could have written this book, you know, a few years ago, not knowing what the present circumstance would be when the book actually comes out. But it's you know, it's really part of this conversation that's happening about like, what does it mean to be privileged? What are the different layers of privilege? Like you're saying, it's not just money. There's many layers of it. Um, And how does it affect our lives right now? In in this COVID moment, um, we've seen that a lot of people um, in the last several years have been told to embrace the idea of the gig economy you know, either as a freelancer, if you're a writer or some kind of creative person or uh, as an Uber driver or whatever it might be. And, Grubhub. and what yeah. We see, yeah, Grubhub. And what we see here is like, what happens? There's no, there's no infrastructure for any of those people. And so, um, you know, COVID happens and there are, there's a whole class of people who aren't going to the office, but they're still getting paid their salary and they're still getting their health insurance and they don't have to worry. And then there are people for whom they're just decimated by this, you know? So it's just, um, it is really kind of bringing things out in a really stark way. Well, and also on the college front, the idea that, you know, we think of these campuses as a great equalizer for the Mm -hmm. students while they're on campus and yeah. I definitely felt that at Smith. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't, it, it, everyone was just in their hoodie sweatshirts and the same pair of jeans every day. Like, or at least that was, I guess that was me. But it wasn't, there me wasn't. Any, <laughs> no, that was me too. Every, every um, college student. <laughs> there was no uh, flashing of status. Yeah. And you share in the book about what happens, you know, during the year abroad or traveling or, and realizing that, uh, friends may have more or do have more, uh, than other students. And the idea that right now when colleges had to close the, the great disparity was so shocking, um, for professors and for everyone on the Zoom calls and yeah. what some students had to, you know, had to take care of their families while trying to keep their, you know, keep writing those papers or or if they had internet access or are they all in one small space? And mm-hmm. and that is, it's just this incredible, uh, ugh, um, I just, it's just like layer upon layer getting stripped away. And I think it's very cool that your book 
written pre this time is also examining these issues. Thank you. Thank you. You. Um, in wrapping up, we got to quickly talk about the Babysitters Club. Uh, <gasps> yeah. Of course. Yeah, it's really important um, yeah. <laughs> to all These of are us. the relevant issues. <laughs> um, you had an article in Elle magazine. Let me, you know what? Let me pull up the actual. Which, by the way, Ellie sent me last night, and I, I must have read it before, but I reread it. And I mean, something that I love just in being your friend is that you put so many, so much of your own personal details into your book. And so I found that I don't think I had realized that you did like the dish scrubbing maneuver of yes. your babysitter, and then you put that in for Sam. Yes. Um, also, I, I love the Dr. Gordon okay. shout out in your book. So thank you oh, for that. Yeah. <laughs> Our pediatrician. <laughs> oh, I love it. Isn't it cool? Like I will give, I can hear my two-year-old screaming upstairs um, for her father, but I can, uh, with the book and all the personal details, like it's really strange. Like I'll be able to hand this book to my children someday and be like, if you want to know what it was like when mom was in college, this mm-hmm. is what it was like because Aww. you talk about going across the quad and like I lived in Wilson house, like right under the bell tower. And like, there's a, just even the idea of the soda machines. Yeah. Again. And it's like, these are yeah. things that our children will have no concept of. Yeah. Totally. And I was, and I was thinking like with the salad bar and everything, I mean, I definitely got the shivers because of like my COVID paranoia. Like the idea that we would ever eat in mass oh, like yeah. that is freaking me out. But <laughs> But to get back to the babysitter, so the title, everyone, of this article um, is, I'm sorry, but the Babysitter's Club books are still really effing good. Personally, <laughs> I'm sort of a Marianne with a Christie rising, but to each her own. So we got to talk about the Babysitter's Club book um, because I'm also now reading my six-year-old. We're halfway through the first book. So are you doing the graphic novels or are you doing the no, original? The original. The original. And what, how does she like them? She's loving it. Does she relate? Because I'm dying to oh, do it yeah. for Meadow, she's, but I don't think she's there yet. Well, Sabrina, she's a Christie, but she, like, so in kindergarten, um, just a few months ago, she was making bracelets and selling them at the park next to her school. Like, she's always talking about being an entrepreneur. So I, like, knew this was perfect. And it was, so it's been, um, she loves it. And also the idea that Marianne lives next door and that they would do codes with the flashlight is like a really big deal to Sabrina. Like she thinks that's amazing. She's always wants to start her own company. So uh, it's weird to realize like, oh, I have a mini me. Like that's how I I hated babysitting and I didn't ever want to take care of children, but I loved the idea of like (laughs) bringing girlfriends together and having a business. Well, it's funny. I interviewed Anna Martin for that piece and, and who also is Smithy who wrote the babysitters club in case anyone here doesn't know, in case anyone mm-hmm. listening you know, is living under a rock and doesn't know who the great <laughs> Anna Martin is. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> she told me that like to her, when she was a kid, the important thing was about earning the idea of earning money, having your own money and being an entrepreneur she didn't think about the babysitting part of it as the, as the alluring part of it. But for so many young girls, that yeah. was the piece. Certainly for me, like I made the kit kit. I could not. I did that. It. I me made too. the flyers and hung the flyers yeah. around. 
And the funny thing is when you read the babysitter's club, it's kind of like how you would never read 17 magazine. If you're actually 17, you read it mm-hmm. if you're like 13. Mm-hmm. So when you read the babysitter's club, you are probably too young to babysit. And yet yeah. it just makes you want to babysit so bad. So you guys, yeah. I have to tell you now we're living in the burbs. We don't really, you know, Throughout most of COVID, we haven't really like interacted. I mean, neighbors are very friendly, but you don't go that close to anyone, you know? But there's a little girl across the street. She, when we first moved in, she was like circling the kids, especially my daughter, Stella. And she was like, I really wish I was old enough to babysit for her. When I'm older, can I please babysit for her? And um, I was like, here, take her now. I will. <laughs> Goodbye. But not really. But last week, I was, I went out to the car and she's, comes up to me in the driveway. Clearly she had been practicing her speech and she was like, hi, I would like to propose something to you uh, because summer camp is canceled and I am now available. I would like to be a mother's helper. And I was like, oh, and uh, I was like, and what Go does on. that entail? As if I don't know. I'm like, what does that entail? She's 10. So she's like, well, I am too young to babysit officially, but I could come over while you are home and you can get some things done. So I said, have you ever read the Babysitter's Club? And she's like, uh, yes. And of course, she's a super fan. And of course, that's like where this all comes yeah. from. So yeah. now she is our mother's helper. Mm. Um, it's kind of like she takes care of my kids and I take care of her at the same time. But I'd much mm. rather babysit a 10-year-old than a, <laughs> a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Seriously. So it's fine. Um, <sighs> but it's so cute. And what, what I love about it is, we are living in her story. Like I can mm-hmm. tell that she's living out the story of being a babysitter. She doesn't, it's not that she really wants to care for these kids. It's just, it's just this idea of like, I'm a babysitter now, you know? And mm-hmm. she was taught, like her aunt came over and she said, can I bring Stella over to show to my aunt? And so she carried Stella over and, she, and I heard her telling her aunt, like, sorry, I can't come over because I am being a mother's helper right now. Like, she could have definitely gone over and seen her aunt because <laughs> she wanted the, you know, so yeah, we're just like yes. side characters in her story of being a babysitter. And I kind of love it. It's adorable. She's like so annoying, but my husband was like, she's basically you. I feel like I'm seeing 10 year old you. And I'm like, exactly. That's yeah. why I have to embrace it and, and just indulge this whole thing, even though it's kind of silly. I love it. Yeah. So good. She got a Bob haircut. And so she was supposed to come to, watch our kids Monday morning and like 10 minutes before she was supposed to arrive. She's like, I'm getting my Bob today. So oh, uh, what, okay. what time should I come? I'm like, well, like the time I ask you, but I guess not. So that like, <laughs> then she just, I was like, let me know when you're back. And then she got back and she's like, sent me a picture of the Bob. And she was like, oh, got the Bob. When should I come? Like, it's great. We love it. Professional. I yeah, exactly. It. She got her professional cut. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Meanwhile, I haven't had a haircut in like six months. I know. I, know. I mean, Bob. even here. I love that. I know you're talking about haircuts. You're talking about coffee shops. Like we are still like we are city living. West Coast city, city living. living right now is very different. Um, man, come to Albany. Sounds like Albany is the Albany. where it's at. Um, <laughs> and, and, to Albany. And in um circle since this is a parenting podcast and we've been talking about mothers and man, I love also how your book goes into the main character, Elizabeth's uh, relationship with her own mother. Uh, mm-hmm. I must share that when I was very young and I was obsessed with the babysitter's club, I came running down the stairs because I was looking at the bio at the back and Martin's original bio said that she went to Smith. 
And I asked my mother, what is Smith? And my mom said, that's the college I really wanted to go to, but didn't get in. And then, (laughs) so I wrote in and Martin a letter about how much it meant to me. Of course she wrote me back because she's magic. And then when I, when I applied to the college and the, they have the question, like, how do you know about this school? And I was like, because Ann and Martin wrote me back in elementary school. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, best. I love that so much. Um, yeah. And my mom was very pleased that I got to fulfill her, her dreams in that way. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Like, Good job, daughter. Good job. I did it. I did it all for her. It's great. <laughs> so everybody go get friends and strangers. It is so, so good. Yeah. Thank you. It is amazing. Congratulations. And everyone can go on my show notes at TommyMoms.com to get all the links because I want to share some of the stuff that we talked about today. In particular, I want to share the link to your group, Immigrant Families Together, Courtney, so that if Thank you get involved in that way, they can. Thanks, uh, and Becky, it was so great to see you on Zoom, Yay. even though we live within walking distance. <laughs> I don't leave my house, Ellie. <laughs> someday we'll, we'll, yeah, someday. Yeah. Thank Maybe you for I'll, inviting me. Of course. Maybe I'll drive, we do a drive-by. And as long as okay. we're like 30 feet apart and we both wear our masks, we'll feel okay Just about it. kisses out the window. <laughs> Thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you for having me. This book is incredible. Everyone get it. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. <laughs>